Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Nile Nine podcast. It is myself, Nile, and Andrea here. How are you, Andrea? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. You feeling uh, autumnal at the moment? Oh, so much. The scene outside my window is very beautiful. I've, mm. I've, 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 I'm up quite high, and there's a lot of trees at ground level, and they're starting to go brown and red. Some of them are staying green. It's just gorgeous. It's nice. just very beautiful. Yeah. Nice. I do like this time of year for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, on this week's podcast, we want to talk a bit of it, kind of a bit of a discussion um, topic about, based off a couple of new art, well, a new artist that is has a mixtape out tomorrow and uh, an artist that just released their fifth album. And I'm just seeing a lot of parallels and I thought it would be interesting because we kind of talked about some of this stuff before in terms of, like, as the world is reopening, people are thinking about, are looking to a new future, they're talking pop music doesn't necessarily um, move on into brand new spaces. It is always referencing the past and alternative music as well. It's always contrasting and changing uh, with what it's saying and the vocabulary it uses. And I thought it might be interesting because we mentioned last week with our chat with Jen Gannon about the Simon Reynolds book, uh, Retromania, Pop Culture's Addiction with Its Own Past. It's a book I've referenced an awful lot and I think about it an awful lot in terms of just the idea that music and pop music in particular as well as alternative music is very cyclical in how it reacts mm-hmm. to what comes before it and how it subsumes that how it changes it and so what we're going to do today is really talk about uh, mainly two artists who kind of embody that idea and the reason why that is um so we're going to get into a bit of that as well about um you know and uh, how how language and meaning has changed and how generationally things change as well. Because I think, you know, <laughs> I mean, myself and yourself now, um, we're not we're not old, but we're not young anymore. <laughs> as in, I mean, we're not I like... I don't know where I'm sitting. It's, yeah, we, we're both in this sort of um, 
in between state of millennium dumb where we're, we're not quite elder millennials like i'm i'm i think smack bang in the middle i'm not a young millennial i'm not an elder millennial you might be closer to being an elder millennial than me yeah see i don't um, know what the what the cutoff is really but i think you know, i i think you remember more things from the 90s than i do is like, that it that's literally yeah, it. I mean, yeah. that's that's sort of how i'm how i'm thinking about it um i i i remember like the latter years of top of the pops Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Where you, I remember you the, were there for a bit more of it, I think. Yeah, like 95, 96, 97 was kind of like my formative years. I don't remember years. any of those years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my formative years in terms in of like media. I was, I was four. So um, yeah. yeah, I was still figuring out how to, I don't know, use the toilet. Is that yeah. right? That's probably not <laughs> no, right. You definitely, I don't think so. <laughs> I probably should have known by then. Well, maybe you were a slow learner. Maybe you were a slow learner. Who knows? I don't. And look, that's fine. <laughs> Is there any slow learner listeners out there? It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah. what I'm talking about. Hot anyway, tips. Any hot tips are... <laughs> for how to go to the toilet? Let us know. But we, we, we are both and we have kind of been talking a bit over voice notes and, and texts and things uh, yeah. to, to various degrees about feeling... Um, Definitely somewhat out of touch um, with Generation Z, but also kind of clinging on to this sense of um, not well, it's not quite youth. Definitely, we're still rebelling against the against the boomer generation. So we are in that in that middle ground. And we also as not even critics or people who work in music, just as listeners, our our tastes um, now are quite different to what they were we're much more informed listeners and we have much more experience seeing cycles in pop music um and i think this is the first big research like the the resurgence of 1990s and 2000s in terms of that kind of 20 year span retromania thing this is our generation's first example of seeing that in the same way that in the 2000s my mom would have looked at stuff that I was wearing or whatever and been like sure that was out in the 80s yeah so and there's a couple of other things that uh, tie in with this as well there's obviously there's a there was an informal study a number of years ago that is kind of taken as gospel is that like people stop listening to new music or discovering new music when they're about 33 apparently okay um, and I don't feel like that. And I certainly feel, obviously, we we are involved in music and we listen to new music all the time and we're listening to music. I was at a gig on, on Tuesday night in the Button Factory where I saw a couple of drill artists, Els and Trevor, and a few others, including uh, who else played? Um, Shiv and uh, Monjola. It was great. It was great to be there. And But I definitely, because of the last two years and the, the passing of time between, you know, I felt the age of slightly more than anyone else that would have been there because I'm just like oh I feel a little bit older than all of these people now you know yeah. what I mean yeah. even though just it's just the, just what it is but it's what I'm interested in as well mm. and I don't I think that's that's the that's the trade-off if you're going to be a pop critic in your like yeah. 30s and 40s you got to be comfortable sitting going... among the, amongst the youth yeah you just kind of have to feel old <laughs> or standing as, think, it, as it will be hopefully I mean maybe there's there's an argument that that lends an objectivity to proceedings but there's also an argument that you're too out of touch to understand proceedings look we'll get into no, all of it I'm not out of touch Fine, definitely we'll not <laughs> but um so in in Retromania Simon Reynolds book he argues that the retro revives a past that is barely over and in doing so uses especially now uses internet meme shorthand um to kind of recontextualize things with a prevalent mood of postmodern irony now this is 2011 and i would argue what's happened since then is that the irony has kind of slowly disappeared and uh, in the last 10 years we've seen an increase in earnestness and an almost wholesale dropping of the irony of it all because i think people are have much more 
there's a lot into that. There's a lot of reasons for that. I think people have more courage of their own convictions. They are more willing to talk about their own mental health. I saw a tweet yesterday. It was like, um, <laughs> we're also, uh, we're all able to talk about our mental health so openly now because we're all so fucked, basically. <laughs> it's yeah. like because of the last year and a half, especially. Mm. But it does, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's not really a trend per se, but there is a sensibility. And I think the interesting thing is, and this is, anyone who's interested in music, how the landscape of pop music changes, how the landscape of popular music, zeitgeist music changes and what the reaction is. Because people never, they like to, art, new artists um, like to, you know, distance themselves or contrast themselves with what's gone before often. And sometimes that means going back to the past. Often it means going back to the past, but recontextualizing it in a new way. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was this... Uh, you know, the idea that, you know, yeah, we're talking about like a loss of this ironic detachment, like that hipster era, right? The hipster era that was so prevalent, basically, you know, I, I like this because, you know, it's ironic, you know, I like this because it's whatever. That is kind of gone. And there's many reasons for it. Like you were saying to me, um, like Gen Z is dealing with uh, so many real topics in their future, including climate change, for example. And and, you know, there's an increasing of empathy and understanding for other people in the world as well. And so as part of that, it feels disingenuous often to, you know, express irony because you're hiding behind something. You're hiding behind by using irony, you're hiding behind um, that sentiment um, or your reality, your actual hmm. reality. You're, you're just using. Also, some I mean, I, irony is a kind of a hangover from the Gen X MTV generation that I that I. I think I would argue whatever ironic aspects um, of the culture that were prevalent or are prevalent in millennial culture is as a result of that kind of intergenerational Gen X and MTV generational maybe may looking towards that or in, in many cases kind of overlapping with that because Gen X is, is this weird intersection uh, between between boomers and, and millennials. And yeah, I, I absolutely think that... Um, the the earnestness is kind of the word that we're using here maybe there, there, might, there might be another word for it but that's that's kind of something that Nyla and I have noticed is that based on kind of current trends in, in in popular music it's very very uncool to be uninclusive or to uh, to be seen to not care about things like social issues, uh, particularly LGBT issues, issues around gender identity. And I think pop music is much more, is, is in a much better position um, to provide, for, for want of a better term, maybe a safe space, um, not, not only for kind of the the listeners and the people that it's being marketed to but also there is a there's a renewed sense of protection uh towards uh popular music artists as well specifically young women um and i mean you, you can kind of see when that goes right you can see when that goes wrong um there there are ways to engage with this kind of this idea of retromania that works and reworks ideas that might be out of touch or old fashioned in a new way, or as we saw in this past week with um, poor Jesse from Little Mix, you can also engage with retro culture in a way that doesn't bring it to into the twenty first century and and get it completely wrong. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting time I think to be a person who is young and being marketed to because while there is this sense of kind of safety and inclusivity. 
there is also, as we know, the pop music machine behind it. So is it, is it that it is more marketable to be earnest now? I would argue that it is rather than, rather than kind of leaning into irony, which is probably seen as quite chuggy, actually. Yeah, well, I don't think, uh, yeah, I think that kind of honesty or earnestness is something that is valued by a younger mm. generation at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you uh, see that on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a thing as well. Like, obviously, we're talking about a generation that has grown up on the internet, like 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 I did as well, and like you did. But in yeah, but way, not in the same way. Exactly. So the difference is, I think, for in terms of music, anyway, there was always, and you wrote uh, beautifully about this before, about the gatekeepers in your early years, about, mm. you know, being asked to name three albums or whatever, three artists or yeah. whatever it is, because you had to prove your credentials. Yeah. These days. I feel like if a 17-year-old boy said that to a 17-year-old girl today, he would be laughed at by everybody. Now, that might be wrong, and there might still be cultural gatekeepers in, in teenagers now, but I I feel like anyone doing that now will be seen as being very uncool. Yeah, it's like when you're in school and you like you had to uh, count up sums in your head as opposed to use a calculator. Mm. Now we have the internet in order to like find out about things and discover things. Yeah. And and one of the things that that has changed and it's been interesting to note because so I read about this new artist and her name is Pink Pantheress and she has a mixtape out tomorrow on Parlophone Records called To Hell With It. Um, And the piece I read was in uh, Stereo Gum and what kind of I'll read out the first bit um, and I'll just explain then why I, th- I found this interesting. Mm. Um, so the Stereogun piece about her album, she's from Bath in England, Pink Pantheress. There may be no more definitively 2021 musical artist than Pink Pantheress. Huge on TikTok, just barely past her teens, drenched in nostalgia for Y2K era dance music. Sounded on overt sampling, intersecting with pre- prevailing moments like bedroom pop and hyper pop and the pop punk revival. So I was like, okay. And then I read on and I realized that apparently there's a lot, there's some people who are um so she so the whole thing with pink panthers i'm going to play a bit of a track first and um, but she does a lot of sampling and she takes a lot of tracks from that era from the 2000s and the early on the late 90s um in order to uh co-opt and use and and i think the thing is so in terms of expression and the way that internet culture has gone for a young 19 20 year old uh, english artist to just sample a garage track for example it's not a big deal to them and it shouldn't be but no, in the past it's old music <laughs> yeah but in the past to do that you had you were basically get gatekept you couldn't get the record somebody would tell you not to do it and what you're seeing now is an artist who has, has done that on tiktok um, and uh, come out and uh, is very very successful and finding a big audience and people who know the original songs are looking at her and going that's not cool you can't do <laughs> that they? yeah I've seen a few, now Sergum just quotes, uh, just links to a few tweets about it. But, you know, it's that idea. I think that's really interesting. So here is a, a bit of a track called I Must Apologize, the latest track from Pink Pantheress. I never wanted to cause that in your mind. I'm not acting the way I think you'd like. Were you ever dinner and now you're acting paranoid? If only you knew the way I felt inside. I'm not going to stop again. 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 I'm not going to stop again.
so that is a song called I Must Apologize. So to give you some background into uh, Pink Panther S, um, she got her start posting uh, random 12 second clips on TikTok during lockdown, basically singing about whatever was happening uh, on that day over uh, whatever she could like kind of figure out. And here's an example of uh, one of the things she was doing. This is one of her TikToks from her second ever TikTok, actually. It's So that um, is a song that she kind of made up, which ended up being a song that she actually released, right? So that song uses a That's sample. That's deadly. Yeah, it's good. And that song uses a sample of uh, you, a song you may remember. I'm going to play it here now. It's called Flowers by Sweet Female Attitude. And it came out in 2000. So a uh, bit of a UK garage vibe. So that's Flowers by Sweet Female Attitude, and that is the song she sampled uh, to start it off, right? And uh, she did a number of these kind of things. Another song she actually uh, sampled is from a, uh, it's actually a Linkin Park song. So here is a, a song called Forgotten from their big album, Hybrid Theory. I crashed my car, right into a tree. I just my life, or I chose you come back to me. You could run a So buried in there is a clip of uh, the guitar and bass, basically, from a uh, Linkin Park song. And I think the whole thing about this is that she's just being industrious. She has uh, she's singing songs about the allowance her parents gave her and spending all the money and um, trying to remember a dream you just woke up from being liked by crush. All very like basic plaintive stuff. Nothing too uh, different. But I think. What's been interesting about this for me is that, like, the fact that she has been uh, basically... So one of the big ones is called Break It Off. This is, and uh, it samples a a famous song from Adam F. called Circles, which is a drum and bass classic from 1997. So here's Break It Off first. So I think the sampling of that song uh, kind of put people's backs up who who are familiar with the original. So the original sounds like...
But the fact that this song has been sampled uh, has, like, it has uh, brought up this gatekeeping argument again in terms of, like, who is able to ar- uh, sample stuff, who is allowed, who is not. And what Pink Panthers is doing is really just doing what uh, young people are doing these days. And what, what actually has happened for generations, to be honest. And I'll get of into course. that in a bit. Because, you know, people have been sampling and copying for, for years. And that well, is look, actually... I mean, I, I find it incredibly rich that anybody who is uh, protective of the UK garage scene is uh, has a problem with sampling like that that feels that feels very very rich and as though they kind of missed the point the first time around yeah yeah to be honest but it's just interesting that that conversation is happening around this it's like i think it's as much as you know where an older generation is kind of going no i don't get that that's the con i know what the original context is but the whole point of, of pop music is that it's constantly uh calling back recontextualizing itself uh reacting to the conversation Changing all that thing. Even Pink Panther as herself has called her music uh, new nostalgic. That's what she's called it. Mm. So like we're pretty much in Retromania, uh, Retromania territory here as well. So Are we, are we in the post-nostalgia era? <laughs> <laughs> post-nostalgia. I don't think we'll ever be in the post-nostalgia. <laughs> but we're in the, we're in the post, uh, we're in the post-music, post-genre mm. era in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like mm. no one cares about um, genres. And I think... There's an enemy interview where um, Pink Panthers is asked about her love of or her garage and stuff. She's like, "Well, I heard it in the car. My mother played it for me, you know. And but I want people to know that, like, you know, they should go and check out the original songs. Like, yeah, it's not like I'm trying to co-op these and make sure that like people don't know that they are my own. These like garage and drum and bass and two-step songs from the late '90s and 2000s are totally." I wonder if she if she was a young man doing this, um, how much of how much she would be asked about these kinds of things, because there is something about, you know, because she's quite young, right? She's she's 21, I think she's 21, 2021. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I I feel like if there was a 21 year old guy coming out with uh, with this sort of thing. I remember like, oh, wow, isn't it great that someone is, you know, crate digging in this way and recontextualizing this music? Yeah, I wonder how much of her gender is. uh, I mean, I don't have to wonder. It has to play a part. Of course. There's no way that it doesn't. Um, I think she's very cool, though. Yeah, and I think there's... And she's reminding me of music that I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, there's other... There's, uh, But I see, you know, thinking about this in a way of a, a way I've experienced in the last, you know, few years and... The early 90s, late 90s, mid 90s, R&B and house and classic kind of uh, music of that era, dance music especially, is very mm. popular. And mm. um, and it always has, it has been for a younger generation, say somebody in their mid 20s or early 20s for, for a few years now. And even uh, that song I played at the start, I must apologize, samples um, Gypsy Woman by Crystal Waters as well. So a very like obvious 90s classic and uh, Muramasa actually produced uh the the song just for me with Pink Panther S so mm-hmm. you know she's being co-opted she's she's signed to a major label she's on Parlophone the um mixtape is 18 minutes long that's all it is most of her songs don't go beyond two minutes and I think there's actually a charm about that as well because you know it's like somebody who's learning how to make music um and hopefully is able to continue doing that and enjoy it and at the moment is having is kind of a an artist on the rise as opposed to one that's recognized and i think um but the sentiment that you can't just sample a classic garage track is one of the reasons why you know this this music works so well it's like 
it's so immediate and top line and poppy and you know uh and simple as well and she's not like lyrically it's kind of a stream of consciousness thing it's not like you know she's very much singing about whatever comes into her head and that's Mm. totally cool so so yeah so the enemy asks where do you where's your love and garage for garage and drum and bass samples you use come from she says uh, if you listen to my music and think no one's done that before that's probably because it's one of my melodies typically the people who sample garage are rappers which is super cool artists take modern songs and make them garage hits like aj tracy's labbrook grove i'm a big fan of that for me what i want to do because i'm super lazy <laughs> is to take a garage beat that i really really like chop it down a bit and make a loop out of it and then sing on top of it there's no one in the uk that doesn't like garage so it's that with a twist <laughs> so that's really it you know yeah. um and i mean i think that that whole kind of you know stream of consciousness just kind of reacting to what's going on around you but also this kind of shorter format thing is is it like that really does kind of encapsulate the gen how generation z interact with media i mean again going back to tiktok these these are short form videos if you scroll through that app a lot of it is to do with reacting to your immediate surroundings. There's a whole kind of section of TikTok that is just people noticing things like, oh, I, I didn't notice that if you do this, sharing tips, sharing little observations about the world, often they're quite earnest. Uh, there'll be kind of a lot like the, the humor on TikTok is a bit different to how it was on for example vine um which i think people of our generation me uh, i i can find a little bit difficult to kind of switch over to that because of how kind of straight down the camera earnest it is but it's very very indicative of how young people are engaging with each other online now which is that it's it's not online we we engaged with people online when we were young for them, it's it's not being online or offline. There is there is no either of those things. There is only kind of engaging with others, and you know that that is its own thing. And we won't really understand the impact of that until they're our age and talking on their own podcasts, which will probably be eight seconds long or whatever. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, but, I remember this, and I, I, if if if, uh, if Ruth is listening, um, she may remember. But Ruth, who uh, was a a uh, intern with us for a while a couple of years ago uh, I remember really? her saying that um she listens to podcasts uh, in 150% speed I and I was like whoa kindly <laughs> ask anybody who does that with our podcast to please not do that <laughs> but it was really interesting because I don't know if you've noticed though you can now watch Netflix uh at faster yeah. speed which is I'm just crazy, not that busy it? to have to yeah. do that <laughs> <laughs> he's like this is too slow i need to I'm quite busy but it's like, like the do. information needs to get into me faster yeah but that's yeah. interesting and that's kind of like kind of what like tiktok is obviously like very very short so when pink panteress was asked by enemy about uh tiktok she said uh i tried all the other options in terms of getting my music out there and i feel like tiktok was my saving grace i was using tiktok anyway just to watch videos but the idea of it being used as a music sharing platform struck my mind one day when i made a vir- video with zero followers and it kind of did well I didn't want to use, I don't want to use TikTok to promote my music forever, but as a leg up, it's truly amazing for a new musician. Mm. So I think that's it. Like, I mean, it is, if you look at the algorithms that are happening on Instagram and on Facebook, which no one is using, and mm. especially no young people are using Instagram itself, you know, the, the virality of TikTok is one of its central things because you are yeah. shown things that you aren't following or you didn't yeah. ask for. So you're given content to look at. And that is why, the TikTok is such a a viral sensation in terms of and how it can break artists and how it did say last year with the uh, 
the Weller Man and all that kind of stuff, the sea shanty stuff. Like, yeah. it's an idea that takes off, and, then and that, all of a and sudden, that's something that major labels are definitely aware of. I think I think we discussed this very briefly, but I know that they talked about it on the New York Times podcast about how major labels are um, kind of cluing themselves into this kind of vira- virality uh, factor of TikTok and encouraging artists to make songs like I mean the the weekend blinding lights is a really really kind of seminal example of how a song can break you know all sorts of streaming records because it did well on TikTok and because it kind of very purposely did well on TikTok so it's nice to see an artist who is independent and young and actually of the generation that is you know has the high high user base uh, of TikTok who understands the intricacies of actually using it and not just a bunch of white men in a boardroom being like, we should really get on this TikTok thing, you know. Um, I, I, I like that she's an insider to that culture and that she's using it to promote her music in a really smart way. That's Yeah, I mean, she's cool. a child in the she knows, she yeah. fundamentally understood how to get herself out there, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what a lot of people are doing first. And like even myself as someone who runs a, a website about new music, primarily you're like, you're not the you're not the main funnel anymore. And that's good. I but, mean, do these people even know what websites are? Do they use websites? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I get messages from, from people on Instagram who are just like clearly don't know what 909 is, but they're because yeah. they're young. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're just like, well, they, they, they hear, oh, can you put this on your page or something? You know, just yeah. even the language is different. It's just like, okay. Or can you add this to your playlists, your Spotify playlist, not the website? No, like there's a lot of yeah. times you get people just asking, can you add this to your Spotify playlist and not ask for actual any coverage? Like a feature or, a, yeah. or an interview or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, Which is also becoming, and something I'm thinking about a lot this week at the moment, I mean, the volume of music out there and something I'm constantly thinking about is like, what is the best way to share this new music? Do I need to write a post about a new track that came out Um, unless I like, Unless I think it's absolutely fantastic. Like, what is the best way to share that? And especially in readers and with readers as well. Sometimes it just feels like there's a deluge. And especially when, say, there's gigs being announced and there's so much, so much news and all of a sudden again because there's, you know, things are happening again. So you kind of feel like, okay, what's the priority here? Mm. And the priority probably right now is like real world experiences and stuff like that. So therefore you have this uh, thought process of like, okay, this is going to benefit the artist. But what about the reader? Where's the reader mm. in all this? Where, where, where's the reader discovering music? And I think that's always changing. And, yeah. you know, people discovering music on TikTok, obviously, we, you know, it's a, we know this is what's happened very often. But I think it's just been interesting with Pink Panthers looking at her music, seeing that it does work in a very short clip because it's so, it's simple. It's mm. almost childlike in a way, but it's kind of, it's that kind of new artist thing where, they haven't developed the identity or the characteristics of what they want their music to be. And therefore it has this charm to it that makes it very relatable. Like if you look at artists like uh, Claro, for example, a bedroom kind of pop artist who's now obviously got much bigger now and is making music that's much more um, mature and all that kind of stuff. But the original thing that people connected with, there was there no errors and graces. She's a very relatable person. She's in her bedroom, like, Pink Panda is in her bedroom making a track about, you know, uh, the allowance that her parents gave her and spending it. So <laughs> it's just very... Yeah, I think that's that's something that is going to be really interesting, how the parameters of a, of a genre like bedroom pop is going to change. Because, you know, when, when bedroom pop first kind of became a thing, it was very much this kind of... Um, 
this next step from the kind of four track recording it in your bedroom because you didn't have the resources to go into a studio or play with a band or whatever it was. And then as as people just got laptops and were able to like more and more people were able to afford microphones, you started to see albums being produced to with, with still a kind of a lo-fi quality, but that was part of the charm. Now, bedroom pop can sound if if you if you've got you know pretty rudimentary understanding of uh, production software that most of which is out there for free. Um, you don't necessarily need, you know, excellent studio quality mics. You don't need excellent studio quality anything to make something that sounds like it could be in the pop charts. So it's it's very, very interesting how the parameters of bedroom pop are, are going to shift from that kind of lo-fi, almost exclusively kind of singer songwriter to people like uh, Pink Panther S who who's producing or will will probably go on to produce her own beats and things like that but to you know studio quality at home um and that's again you see it on TikTok uh you see it in in the kind of variety of songs that people are playing people can uh collaborate with each other you know without having to go into studios and stuff so yeah it's really I think maybe bedroom pop as an idea is probably going to die because it's yeah. all just going to become pop or, yeah, or whatever well, certainly it is. The, the fidelity aspect of the of that mm. music is not the important thing anymore it seems it yeah. seems the important thing is the relatability of the bedroom pop artist to you the listener because if mm. you are looking at somebody especially in the last two years or year and a half when we're all in lockdown and, and you're looking at no one can go anywhere so there's very much like that Oh, they're like me. They're just making tunes mm. in their bedroom. They're just making tunes in their square room, whatever it is. And yeah, I think that's interesting to me. What is interesting as well is, is to see where that goes, because like we said, Muramasa produced a track on the new, uh, uh, it's basically an introductory mixtape from Pink Panthers. But even already you're seeing, if you look at her TikTok, it's gone a bit more. It's like she, she was obscuring herself. She wasn't showing who she was. Mm. Now there's... You know, there's a really like nice artwork done for the album. You know, there's professional. She's on a Parlophone Records. Um, and even her latest TikTok, you can see is like, it's almost like it's shot on a brand new phone or something. It's like, <laughs> it, it doesn't have that kind of like grainy quality. It's like, mm. she's very present. And that's always the other part. That's the second part that's beyond all of the initial relatability of an artist is like where they go and how they keep that. Um, so I wanted to, let's play a bit, before I move on, I'm going to play a bit of a song called uh, Attracted to You by Pink Panthers. So while I think the the idea of earnestness and the loss of irony is a, a relatively um, current thing, I do see a lot of parallels between Pink Panthers and a, an artist that had their fifth album out last week, James Blake. And uh, like sampling and copying has essentially been mar- part of the music making process for many, many years. If you go back and listen to like Buddy Holly, or Buddy Holly or, you know, they're Rolling Stones, you know, ripping off blues artists 
black blues artist. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's always copying is part of it. Yeah. Whether it's reggae, Marley dub, White. like yeah. hip hop, all of it relies on sampling and bar- yeah. borrowing and exchanging of work. Between so people. I was listening to a Song Exploder podcast with James about James Blake's uh, latest album, Friends That Break Your Heart, which came out last week. And in the interview that James did with um, Switch On Pop, he was asked what he wanted out of his music. And he, he, he began by saying, when I first started, I had influences and I copied people. And he, he pointed out how his song, um, The Wilhelm Scream, is actually a copy of, a, a direct copy of a song by Anthony Hamilton called Charlene from 2003. And it struck me that, you know, there's a lot of that music from around that era that is is ripe for contextualization and for influence. And mm-hmm. so just to give you an example here, here is uh, The Wilhelm Scream from James Blake. This is uh, Willem Scream by James Blake, and here is Charlene from Anthony Hamilton. So that is it. What like what artists often do is recontextualize things. And I think it's I always think it's so fascinating that, you know, you know, you're not supposed to be stealing, but you know, mm. copying and being influenced by is so ripe. It's so part of the conversation with music, isn't it? It's like no one is, is born in a vacuum. No one makes music out of nowhere. And everyone is informed by what comes before them. And I especially see that here. And I see, you know, I was listening to James Blake's new album and What did you make of it? It's okay. It's fine. I don't think I'm going to go back to it an awful lot. I did like that it wasn't uh, kind of dour. <laughs> and Oh, I found it quite dour. Did you? Yeah. Um, well, I found, I think I found like some of the found previous dour stuff. Dour and unimaginative. <laughs> right. Well, see, this is the thing. So James has gone from this electronic, um, you know, dubstepy producer to a very earnest songwriter now as well. Very much so. He says, uh, he said to, he told GQ recently, I genuinely wanted to make music, want to make music for sitting by a pool, by a swimming pool. <laughs> That's what he told GQ. So like his ambitions have changed because mm. when he started, he was making this kind of very out there, sonically interesting um, kind of uh, foregrounding, like a lot of uh, futuristic kind of sounding music. Oh yeah. And completely changed the sound of like, a lot of artists when he went and worked with them like he's worked on some of the most influential uh like he, he worked on lemonade he worked on blonde yeah he worked on uh he was on Dam as well yeah like he worked on so many of like the 2010s like most influential records like Bonnie Vare like he it, that's the thing that annoyed me about the new album was that there was absolutely nothing new in it. Yeah. Um, okay. But anyway, we're not reviewing but, the album. But that's okay. No, but it is relevant because I think, mm. you know, he's five, five albums in he's, uh, and the arc of his career is very interesting because, you know, he started out, he said he started out copying people and he was doing mm. covers of Feist and Joni Mitchell and all that kind of stuff. He caught, he, uh, Willem Scream is a cover of the song by his dad's band, James Litherland, Where to Turn is the name of the original song. And then he said after that, people started to copy him because mm. what happened was he was a, you know, like you said, he became an in-demand producer. He became an individual producer 
and people started wanting what he was offering. And uh, so he was then co-opted into the mainstream in that way. Um, but I want to first just uh, talk a bit about, you know, the parallels that I saw between Pink Panthers and James Blake. And and I think it's like, if you look at CMYK, right, which was one of the biggest, uh, the breakthrough song from uh, James Blake. And here is what it sounds like. So that song was one of the songs that really broke James Blake in terms of he kind of had a dual career then. He was like accepted by a uh, the new mainstream, but then also accepted by, you know, the electronic underground as well. So obviously, like that song samples Khalees's Caught Out There and Aaliyah's song Are You That Somebody? And it just reminded me, listen to him talk this week that, you know, that's what everybody does when they start out. They contextualize other things. They they start from some place else and they quote other people in their music in that way. They are influenced. Not not just when you start out. Take an artist like Burial, whose whole identity is what 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 you're capable of doing with music that other people has made and how how you can transform that and and change that into its own thing it's 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 not even just for people who are starting out it's it's a it's an art in its own right you know yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that's probably probably the the element of disappointment that we need to listen to james blake's latest album he's kind of just abandoned that he said he said recently like he just wants to make good songs and you're like okay but if i if i innovate in that process (laughs) make good songs then yeah but if i innovate in that process then great but he's like where he as an earlier he was trying to do that he's like Mm. um that kind of ambient electronic sound that he has or like to quote the Newsnight interview, the ambient chillax of his music. You know what I mean? It became such a a, a, a wide spread influence on pop music. And he says himself, I'm probably never going to be accepted by pop music. I'm not going to make the amount of money that everyone else made. And that's, I just had to be okay with that. I, yeah, see, that's, that's something else that bothers me about James Blake, who by all accounts seems like a nice guy, but like the whole... I'm not accepted by this industry because I don't make the money that the big pop artists do. Like working on those albums that we just mentioned, is that not acceptance enough? Like is is yeah. ha- is having like a massive, massive impact on the sound of the 2010s. Like a- anybody forevermore who's going to be writing and discussing 2010s popular music or hip-hop will have to at one point or another mention James Blake and to me that's the acceptance that he was afforded and Mm. like money shouldn't really have to come into that yeah I find that odd yeah but it's interesting to go from that to uh the quote I generally want to make music for sitting by the swimming pool and you're (laughs) like man maybe you should not be (laughs) maybe you should get out of LA where you live and uh go and live somewhere else go back to the English or something I don't know just like it's a bit like, oh man, you're out of touch now. <laughs> you're actually out of touch. Right? It's, it's, it's the, you know, that's what happens if you stop trying to innovate and start kind of 
relaxing, I suppose. And I mean, I guess it's it's quite difficult for somebody like James Blake, who was quite early on, you know, um, really embraced as an innovator, not just somebody who had a good voice, who was a talented producer, but also who was doing something new. And it's very, very difficult to kind of I, I either keep doing that, doing the same thing, I mean, or to keep innovating and, and updating. And I appreciate that that's a very difficult place for him to be in. Um, but I, I don't think making music to relax by a pool is the right kind of. Yeah. That to me just sounds like you're giving up and you're moving down to Florida to retire or something. Aquatic you know? chillax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, maybe do it under another like project name or something yeah it's interesting though at the time you know thinking back to that time of cmyk when that song came out mm. i don't remember anyone giving out that james blake was sampling uh two very prominent uh black no. r&b artists at the time of you know so you know i just think it's interesting to note that like you said um would if it, if she if james blake was a woman would he get the same thing as pink Panthers? probably not mm. so it is worth noting as well and uh i don't know if you saw actually the uh did you see the rolling stone cover for this week um no. with, uh, olivia rodrigo in conversation with alanis morissette there you go there's the cross-generational thing happening oh sweet all over the place um so they're having a chat olivia rodrigo is a big uh big fan of uh, alanis morissette as 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 most uh, women or young women, especially, um, mm. yeah, Alanis is really having a, a whole she's having a moment again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I sure. see them there. Oh my god, Alanis looks amazing. Look <laughs> she definitely her. looks like the mom who's taking oh. her. Do you know what I mean? It's nice, I would though. watch this remake of Freaky Friday. I'm just <laughs> oh. saying that that is oh, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, but I mean that that you know that like Alanis Morissette wasn't exactly like the most current and cool thing that you could be listening to when we were young i, I feel yeah. like when i was young it was kind of like mom music and then the older i got the more i was like oh that's more that's amazing um so yeah it's very interesting to see an artist like olivia rodrigo who i mentioned to you yesterday when we were chatting i'm, I'm finding just increasingly fascinating as a kind of a cultural moment um to see her influences being something like um Al alanis morissette and yeah kind of leap leaning into a kind of like a like a retro thing that would have been retro even at the time that she's referencing do you know what I mean like yeah. it's yeah it's very strange and uh, interestingly like the parallel there between Olivia Rodrigo and what we were talking about in terms of copying stuff the interesting thing is that Olivia, Olivia Rodrigo has given a number of songwriting credits over to uh, the likes of Paramore and yeah. a few others in, the, in recent times <laughs> Um, and that's a whole other different thing um, because, you know, that's like, yeah, that's the murky waters of copyright uh, and uh, and copying yeah. these days, like a callback or anything that sounds like it. These days, artists are just advised to give them the credit as opposed to fight it in court because mm. it just looks bad for everybody, even though, you know, it wasn't it uh, Elvis Costello who said, who somebody pointed out that a Livio Rodrigo song sounded like Elvis Costello. And he was yeah. like, great. I'm not going to sue. Exactly. He's just like, yeah. this is the way it works. He said that exactly. He's like, that's the way it works. Everyone copies everyone else. And, of course. Uh, and it's fine. It's, it's, it's like, the same um, as um, We Are Never Getting Back Together by Taylor Swift as well. Um, Adam Neely on YouTube. If anybody doesn't watch Adam Neely, I highly, highly recommend him. He's a bassist. I think I've mentioned him before on, have, on, yeah. on this channel, channel and in the Discord. Um, he has a fantastic video about um, that whole copyright claim between Olivia Rodrigo and... Uh, and Paramore 
and he mashes up the, the those two songs and he also puts forward the idea that it's the same as we're never getting back together by taylor swift and when he mashes the taylor swift song with the olivia rodrigo song it is magic like it sounds unbelievable they should release that as a song it's class um but yeah that's all, all that copyright stuff we should we should definitely do an episode on that because that's all yeah. fascinating i do think it's yeah it's just like the trend has been just give them the copyright or just give yeah. them the credit as opposed to argue with it even though mm. you can certainly see in a number of cases i mean they just a lot of the times they can sound similar i've had a number of situations in where i've looked at a case like that in the last year and i've gone okay i can hear a similarity but they're not the same Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. And I think and that's that's going to be really interesting with, with artists like Pink Panther S and different um kind of Y2K inspired um artists. And even though that phrase makes me laugh so much because it makes me feel really old. But that's going to be really interesting to see um how that's going to work with in terms of copyright issues if you are just self-releasing or if you're not anything to do with a label and you're just making remixes and putting it on tiktok is well, that's is, it is is that a space in which copyright law applies to you i'm probably not yet i'm sure i'm sure that it it will at some stage like the the labels are gonna are gonna make sure to get in on that but like that is it that is, that is big, really interesting like that is why a big art big uh, label is involved now presumably yeah all of the songs and mentions <laughs> that pink panther has sampled whether it's the adam f one or there's a ska track, which is kind of uh, from 2007, little known UK hit, actually. Mm. Um, but it works really well on the song um, uh, Attracted to You, which I played. Um, all those all those tracks are obviously have been cleared for, for use by the publishers of the songs or by the artists themselves. So they are OK with being sampled, obviously. Sure. Um, and, you know, Perlophone has stepped in and, and looked after that, presumably. So, you know, that's part of what you know we talk a lot about you know what what does a major label offer these days to new artists and i think that's legal the protection kind of the, the legal protection exactly the copyright yeah. stuff and all that kind of thing and if your publisher is looking after you like that um so it's an interesting thing anyway that was just really a uh a, a kind of the thing i wanted to discuss this week just a kind of a some thoughts as opposed to a full you thoughts. know deep dive um and yeah. uh but yeah i enjoyed that because i think it was just like with pink panther s I just kind of go, oh, this is great. And then you're like, oh, there's this whole other part of this mm. process, you know? And it's like, it's always fascinating to look and see how people are being perceived and, and why and and how it works and and mm. what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, we're, as I said, very new artists, but um, yeah. the Someone you know, to keep an eye on. Big step is out today, as as you hear it. So um, yeah, so right. that is it. Um, Any reason so, to be cheerful this week, now? Oh, <laughs> I wish you'd give me a heads up on that one. Sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you my one. Yeah, go on. And you can share my one if you like. Um, the new trailer for Get Back. Oh, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Beatles documentary, 57 hours of footage. It's going to be over three episodes, of like six hours altogether. And it looks so good. I'm very excited. I can't wait for it. Um, it's coming out the 20 something of November uh, 22nd, I think. Or 25th. Anyway, um, mm. yeah, that looks great. That's my reason to be cheerful this week. Um, I have watched the trailer so many times um, <laughs> and I stopped crying maybe the fifth or sixth time. <laughs> now I can watch it stoically. It looks great. It looks really good. It I'm, looks uh, fantastic. I'm very impressed. And yeah. is Peter Jackson involved? No, right? Peter Jackson is, is, is the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, 
I, this is where the caveat of we don't know what's going to happen just yet um, on the October 22nd or otherwise, but I look at my calendar and I feel, uh, I see a lot of reasons to be cheerful. If, if yeah. what happens, happens, and we can all go to these gigs um, cross our fingers, in the next yeah. three months. Um, there's quite a lot of things. One of the things that uh, I just like to briefly plug is uh, 24th of October in the Workman's, the new venue, The Cellar. Um, so I created a show there on Sunday the 24th. And uh, we have Strange Boy uh, from Limerick and the X Collective, uh, both playing for free uh, on the night. So uh, X Collective, as you may know, are a collective of people who uh, mostly work in or are interested in R&B and soul and hip hop. And so big, huge, like there's about 100 of them now, I think, who are mm. signed up to this. So on the night, there'll be artists like Zaffo, Jess Cav, UNK, Toshin, Sky Ma- Shy Mascot, Mutant Vinyl, Chloe Agnew, Descartes, and Tig playing, and there will be others as well. So it's kind of like a big R&B, new R&B review, kind of rotating mm. cast of people playing together. And, strange and that's boy, free, but do people have to buy tickets for that? No, no, it's free. It's, a, it's like free and Or time. not as in book tickets or anything? Or no, 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 no. There's cool. nothing there. And, uh, and then Strange Boy from Limerick, whose uh, album Holy Unholy was one of the finest this year. Really, really individual artist who performs with uh, a trad backing and uh, I think that's going to be really, really interesting and also there's something coming up in Lucky's on the 28th of October as well involving more kind of ambient electronic stuff so that'll be announced soon so look out for that cool okay and uh, if you like what we do here it's Niler9 on Patreon that's patreon.com forward slash Niler9 and you are on your uh, full podcast and your full season one podcast yeah, is now available. I'm on podcast holiday now, so you can catch up with season one uh, on your podcast provider of choice. Search for my favorite album with Andrea Cleary. Um, the last episode of the season was with Denise Tyla, hour long episode. Um, it's just one of the best days of the year that I've had in the past <laughs> years. It's just like the, I mean, the whole process of, of making the first season of the podcast was incredible, but that, that we, we felt it right that that should be the last episode um, for how chaotic and also long it is. But um, yeah, if you, if you like Denise, and I assume that you do, if you listen to us, because we mention her all the time, um, go check out that episode because it's it's very good nice. I, in my opinion as somebody who didn't produce it so it's fine I can say that <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that for myself now to listen to maybe this weekend oh yeah oh you'll love it yeah it's great love it. <laughs> no, yeah so uh, if you if you haven't listened in the last few weeks what have we done the last few weeks we talked to Jen Gannett last week about yeah. the Spice Girls and the 90s and Ladette culture and all that kind of stuff we had an end of the of the month um, recommendations. We had uh, a deep dive into Dolly Parton, chat to Robbie Kitt about uh, culture and art and music in Ireland at the moment. We had a Donda deep dive and much, much more. So do go back and listen to that. Um, all those, if you've caught up, if you missed on anything, and uh, we will be back next week. Um, next week, I'm going to be chatting to Una Mullally about uh you're you're away you're away i'm away I'm, next i'm week. going solo next week yeah um so yeah with you know we talked a lot about you know reopening and there's an idea that people want to remake their lives so next week i'm gonna have a chat with una Mali about you know what what the future looks like she's doing a, a series of events in the national concert hall on the 20th to the 23rd of october called utopia and um, so it's kind of reimagining what the world could look like, what utopian ideals we could be, we should be taking on to ourselves. So I don't know where the chat is going to go, but we're just going to see how it goes. So, uh, so that'll be next week. And uh, and then we have we have a Halloween special. Again. 
we're, we're into spooky season, baby. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So I'm going to return fully spooky. So, um, yeah. Look <laughs> very, good, that. very good. Very okay. good. All right. Well, that's it from us this week. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Bye. See you next week. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.